Fiona Tech was born in Lublin, Poland in 1931. When she was eight years old, her life would change forever as Nazis invaded her hometown. As a Polish Jew, she survived the Holocaust thanks to Polish Catholics who hid her from the Nazis. Over 40 years later in the 1980s, Nahama started researching the events that she had lived through. Her book, When Light Pierced the Darkness, Christian Rescue of Jews in Nazi-Occupied Poland, was published in 1986. It was while Nahama was researching for this book that she called up a man named Tuvia Bielski, who was living in Brooklyn at the time. Nahama recalled in an interview with NPR, quote, he was very friendly and wanted to know what book I'm writing, end quote. After explaining that she was researching the story of a man who had helped 300 Jews escape the Nazis, Tuvia replied, quote, big deal. When you come to me, I will show you how people saved more than a thousand, end quote. And that's how Nahama found the topic for her next book, which would be published in 1993, titled Defiance, The Bilski Partisans. Nahama's book about the Bilski brothers never reached number one on the New York Times bestseller list, but it won numerous awards, including the International Anne Frank Special Recognition Prize. One of Edward Zwick's friends found the book and was so fascinated by it that he passed it on to the director. Initially, Edward was hesitant of doing yet another Holocaust movie, but he was so enthralled by the story that he couldn't resist. In 1999, Edward acquired the film rights and started working on the film. It took nearly a decade before it was ready to start shooting, and when it did, they had to act fast. Actor Daniel Craig was cast for the lead role in May of 2007, but they had to start shooting right away so he could move on to another obligation as James Bond in The Quantum of Solace. So shooting for Defiance began in September of 2007 and wrapped up in just three months. On January 19, 2009, Defiance was released to underwhelming box office numbers. With a budget of $32 million, the film would go on to only make back about $28 million in theaters. After Nahama saw the film, she was shocked by some of the changes Hollywood made. Let's find out just how much changed as we learn the true story behind Defiance. I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is Based on a True Story. This episode is made possible by my patrons over at Patreon.com. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a site that lets you support content creators like me. You can become a patron of the show over at Patreon.com slash Based on a True Story Podcast. You get to choose how much to offer, and there's absolutely no obligation. But anything you can offer will help me keep the lights on and keep paying the numerous costs of this show so I can continue to provide what you hopefully find as quality content. As an added bonus, I like to give my patrons some extra goodies. So if you've ever wondered why a movie was picked, what some of the things were that I've discovered during research, or even just what's coming next week so you'll have time to watch the movie before the episode comes out, hop over to patreon.com slash based on a true story podcast. Once again, that's patreon.com slash based on a true story podcast. I'll make sure to put a link to it in the show notes too. And now, on with the show. 
The movie Defiance tells the story of the Bielski brothers, led by Tuvia Bielski, who's played by Daniel Craig. Tuvia was born on May 8, 1906, in the small Polish village of Stankiewicz. It's not there anymore, but it was between two towns that are still there. That would be the towns of Novogrodok and Leda, both in now what's the western side of Belarus. The Bielski family was the only Polish Jews in Stankiewicz and made their living as millers. While the movie makes it seem like the Bielski family was made up of only the four brothers, that's not true. In truth, Tuvia was the third eldest of 12 children, 10 boys and 2 girls. Tuvia learned to speak German while he served in the Imperial German Army during World War I. He acted as an interpreter between the Germans and the Poles for the army before being recruited into the Polish army in 1927, after the Great War ended. Following this military service, Tuvio returned to Stankiewicz to help run his family's mill. Then, in 1929, with his family struggling to make ends meet, Tuvia married Rivka, whose family owned a general store. While we don't know for sure, it seems like this was not a marriage for love, but mostly a marriage to help Tuvia's family gain access to a new business. In 1939, Tuvia moved to the larger town of Lida in an effort to hide from the NKVD, or the People's Commissariat of Internal Affairs. That was a Soviet law enforcement agency, and someone Tuvia feared might arrest him because of his capitalist occupation as a grocer. Tuvia asked Rivka to move to Lida with him, but she refused. It was here in Lida that Tuvia met a woman named Lilka. Tuvia fell in love with Loka, and with 1939 winding down, he divorced Rivka and married Loka. Although technically, his marriage to Loka was never official because of the war. Tuvia and two of his brothers, Alexander, nicknamed Zeus, who's played by Leif Schreiber, and Asyl, who was played by Jamie Bell in the movie, they're called on by the Polish army to fight against the Nazi invasion. It was futile. And when the unit disbanded, the brothers returned to Stankiewicz. That's when the events in the movie start to take place. On June 22, 1941, the Germans began their invasion of the Soviet Union with Operation Barbarossa. After almost two years of Soviet rule in the area, the Germans turned on the Soviets when they invaded what is now the country of Belarus, just to the east of Poland. The weather is getting nicer, which means now is the perfect time to plan ahead for summer fun. Personally, I'm hoping to be able to visit my family this summer, and that means booking flights as soon as possible before the prices go up. And now you can help ensure your money is there when you need it with today's sponsor, Earn In. Just download the Earn In app, verify your paycheck, and watch your earnings tick up as you work. Access up to $100 a day and up to $750 per pay period so you can start making your summer plans now. It's free and easy to get started. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, -N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. 
In the movie, we see Nazi SS soldiers slaughtering people. Those they aren't killing are captured and sent to concentration camps. Then we see Zeus and Asao Belsky watching helplessly from the forest. After the German invasion, Zeus and Asao run into the village where they see their father murdered. Without time to process what's happened, they rush to their home where they see their younger brother, Aaron, who's played by George McKay, hiding under the floorboards. Together, the three brothers make it back to the Lipizzanska forest, where they meet up with their fourth Bilski brother, Daniel Craig's version of Tuvia. The basic gist is there, but there's a few details that aren't quite right with this opening scene in the movie. At the time, the Germans had yet to see defeat from their infamous Blitzkrieg style of warfare. In Stankiewicz, the civilians stood no chance against the advancing German soldiers. The scene was pure chaos, smoke, burning buildings, people running in the streets. There was mad panic for shelter as bullets and artillery shells flew everywhere. According to Peter Duffy's book called The Bilski Brothers, Zeus and Asyl witnessed both their mother and father being taken away by the Nazis. And it wasn't just their parents. Two of their other siblings were captured by the Nazis as well. But in both accounts, Zeus and Asyl were powerless to do anything as their family was led away. So while the brothers didn't see their family die firsthand, it was almost certain that they were murdered in Nazi camps. Although Zeus and Asao couldn't have known the extent of the devastation at the time, history tells us that the Nazis would go on to burn an estimated 9,000 Belarusian villages and deport millions of people for slave labor. The next day in the movie, the youngest, Aaron, makes a discovery. He's led through the forest after hearing a branch break and seeing someone run away. Chasing them down, he stumbles upon a mass grave. While we don't know if Aaron made this discovery in the way that he did in the movie, we do know that about 5,500 people were herded to large trenches the Nazis dug in the forest just outside the town of Lida. Then, without warning, the Nazis opened fire on the unarmed civilians. Three of these trenches were filled only with children. Looking up from this gruesome discovery, Iran notices multiple people coming out of the forest. They're survivors, people who, like the Bilskis, have fled into the forest in the face of Nazi aggression. Iran leads them to his brothers to see if they can help an injured child. Unfortunately, we just don't know if this is exactly how the Bilskis began protecting people in the forest. The Bilskis, like many others, weren't trying to form some sort of a rebellion. They weren't trying to do anything other than save their own lives after seeing their parents and siblings being dragged off. With so many others doing the exact same thing, it's very likely that it happened similar to what we see in the movie. By that, I mean it most likely just sort of happened. Before they knew it, they had multiple people looking up to them. The brothers who knew this dense force like the back of their hands to help them hide amidst the trees. If they're to do this, they'll need some food and supplies. So in the movie, Daniel Craig's version of Tuvia sneaks to a friend's house. It's a man by the name of Konstantin Kozlowski, nicknamed Kosik. In the movie, Kosik is played by Yasik Komen, and he goes above and beyond helping Tuvia by not only giving him food, his gun, and the four bullets that he has, but also giving them blankets and protection from the cold. There aren't any records of this meeting between Tuvia and Kosik, other than Tuvia's own recollection, 
But that's not really very surprising, given the wartime situation and the fact that this was a secret meeting. That means we'll have to take this meeting on faith. But again, it's likely to have happened. After all, the Bilskis lived in the area off and on their whole lives, so they likely had plenty of good friends that were willing to help, even if it meant risking their own lives. And that's exactly what happens next in the film, when the local police captain shows up. Enjoying a drink with Kosick, it becomes obvious that he's rounding up Jews for the Nazis. In exchange, he gets 500 rubles for each Jew he hands over to the SS. After he leaves, Tuvia ends up exacting revenge on the police officer by murdering him, along with his two sons in cold blood, leaving their mother alive and in torment. Yet again, for this little bit, we don't know if this particular police officer was offered money in exchange for turning over Jews, nor do we know if Tuvia returned to kill the officer at his home. We have to deduce what's likely to have happened based on some other facts that we do know. Let's start with the amount. At the time, Belarus was not its own country, so it's likely that these rubles were from the Soviet Union. With so much changing with the world governments from 1940s to now, it's hard to pin down exactly how much 500 rubles then is worth in today's equivalent. But as best as I can gather, that would be about 8 of today's US dollars. That's $8 in exchange for a human life. But would the local policemen turn over their own countrymen like that? After all, like many other Jews, the Bilskis had lived in the area their whole lives. So the moment where the policeman begs for his life, saying he had let Tuvia get away with things his whole life, is quite possibly true. They knew each other. And this little section, although it plays a small role in the film, is probably one of the most disturbing of all. Everyone knows about the Nazis slaughtering millions of Jews, the very first exterminations in the infamous death camp Auschwitz started in September of 1941. What a lot of people don't know is that it wasn't just the Nazis who were slaughtering Jews. In many cases, it was a neighbor turning on his neighbor, friend, betraying friend. One of the most documented cases of this was just 150 miles to the west of Lida in a Polish town called Jedwabne. In his incredibly moving book, simply titled Neighbors, Polish historian Jan Tomasz Gross explained the horrifying events that occurred on July 10th, 1941. According to Jan, as the Nazis moved into Jedwabne, the Polish townspeople, quote, easily reached agreement, end quote, with the Nazis on how to handle the Jews in town. It was the Poles who rounded up their friends and neighbors who just happened to be Jews. 1,600 Jews were locked in a barn that was then set ablaze. It's horrifying to think that society can pressure people on each other so quickly if only prodded a little by an outside force. But it's true. The Nazis certainly were not innocent, but they were not the ones who turned on their own in this case. The families they'd grown up besides, their neighbors, their friends, those were the ones who turned. After years of research and interviews that led to the book, Jan's conclusions can be summarized very well with this quote from his book. Quote, Had Yedwabne not been seized by Jews, the Yedwabne Jews 
would not have been murdered by their neighbors. But the direct participation of the Germans was limited mostly to taking pictures and filming. The 1,600 Edwabne Jews were murdered not by the Nazis or Soviets, but the society. End quote. Some historians say the Bilskis escaped into the forest toward the end of 1941, while others place the date at the beginning of 1942. Regardless, the timing of that and the events of, in Yavwabne in the beginning of July 1941 make the events in the movie where the police were turning Jews over to the Nazis something very believable. We don't know for sure, but while Yawabne may have been one of the largest mass murders at the time in that region, it's not likely these horrific events were isolated to a single town. Back in the movie, Liev Schreiber's version of Zeus is helping to build a camp in the forest when two men show up in the camp with a rifle. Aiming them at whoever is speaking, the men demand food. After being calmed down, they explain what's happened. There used to be 3,000 Jews in their town. Now, 50. Liev's first question is about his wife, Sonia, and his child, who were in the same town. A slight shake of the head. They're gone. This is partially true. Zeus's wife and infant daughter were murdered by the Nazis, just like the movie indicates. But Liev refers to Sonia, and that was the name of Zeus's second wife, not the one who was murdered by the Nazis. Zeus's first wife was named Cyril Borowski. Like so many others who joined the Bielskis in the forest, Sonia Boldo was a young woman who managed to escape capture and flee into the trees. It wasn't a quick marriage, but Zeus and Sonia would eventually marry in the forest. There's more bad news in the movie, this time for Tuvia. When a sow gets separated after they ambush a German soldier only to attract the attention of a troop transport truck that happens on the road, a sow stumbles upon two women. One is Bella, the other is Chaya. In the movie, Bella is played by Ibn Hell, and Chaya is played by Mia Wasikowska. These women bring the news that Tuvia's wife was also murdered by the Nazis. Although we don't know if the news was delivered in this way, sadly we know that the news itself is true. Although it wasn't Tuvia's current wife, Lilka. It was Rivka, Belsky, and Zeus's wife, Cyril, and their daughter, along with many, many others who were murdered in the Novogrodok ghetto on December 8, 1941. Interestingly, after Bella comes into the camp, it seems that Zeus starts to take an interest in her. But as we already learned, it was actually a different woman by the name of Sonia, and not Bella, that Zeus was interested in. And Sonia was just 18 years old when she and Zeus met first in the forest. In a 2009 interview with The Mirror, Sonia recalled meeting Zeus for the first time. Here's a snippet from that article. Quote, She was shivering with fear after escaping the ghetto. So he wrapped her in a fur coat and told her, there's nothing to be afraid of. Sonia was smitten, end quote. So there were some slight details changed for the movie here. Speaking of the movie, one of the next pivotal moments happens when Zeus gets fed up with Tuvia's inactivity. The movie makes it seem like he's fueled by a desire for revenge for his wife and daughter. Zeus ends up leaving the camp and going to fight alongside the October Atriad, a Russian group of soldiers led by Viktor Penchenko. In the movie, Viktor is portrayed by Ravel Isyanov, and in truth, the Bilsky fighters were associated with a Russian general, 
Vasily Yefimovich Platon Chernyshev. While revenge for Zeus's wife and daughter probably wasn't the only reason, considering everything that has happened to their family, no one could say the Bilsky brothers were short on reasons for revenge. As Zeus fights alongside the Russian partisans in the October Atriad, the movie makes it seem as if the Bilsky Atriad had nothing to do with the Russians. In truth though, the two partisan groups worked together some. The movie got the part right where the Jews cared more about just surviving than fighting back like the Russians did, but the Jews helped fight back in their own way by supporting the Russians with goods they'd make, and repairs or medical help. So the reality was that there wasn't a divide between Tuvia and Zeus as the movie makes it seem, but they did split up into two units. One unit of the Bilsky Atriad was led by Zeus and the other by Tuvia. Back in the movie, one of the next pivotal moments happens when Tuvia and Asile sneak into the ghetto in the nearby village of Berenovici. That's about 60 miles south of Lida. It almost seems unthinkable, but in the movie, the Jews don't want to leave the ghetto. They're held prisoner in a section of town by the Nazis, and as Tuvia begs the elders to leave, he mentions the death camps. The Jewish leaders scoff at this, saying there's no way the Nazis had death camps. One of the elders portrayed by Mark Margolis says, quote, They won't kill all of us. They can't. They need us to work the camps. End quote. A few people do leave with them, though, as they sneak back out into the forest. One of these is Lilka Tikhtin. Now, as far as history is concerned, there's no proof that Tuvia and Asile snuck into the ghetto in this manner. But we know for a fact that this is not how Tuvia and Lilka met. If you remember from the beginning of this episode, we learned that Tuvia met Lilka in 1939, before any of this happened. So at this point in history, they were already married. However, the position of the Jewish elder in the movie is most likely true. Because of the mixture of Nazi propaganda, along with the mere fact that no one up to that point could believe humans could do something so despicable to other humans, most people, Jews included, simply did not believe in the rumored death camps. And there's another reason to believe the situation in the movie could have happened. The timeline in the movie here is near the end of 1941. The very first extermination camp we know was named Chelmno, and it was located in Poland about 350 miles to the west of Berenovici. And with Nazi propaganda squashing any information that they didn't want people to know about, such as the extermination camps, rumors truly would have been the only way that people would hear about the death camp if they heard of it at all. And with everything else going on in the war, can you believe every rumor that you hear? Surely not. In fact, it wasn't until the following year, 1942, that reports started to surface of death camps as evidenced by a report in London. This is archived by the Jewish Telegraphic Agency's website and is dated June 26, 1942. Quote, more than 700,000 Polish Jews, a third of the entire Jewish population, have been massacred by the Nazis in Poland since last summer. It was charged in a detailed report received here today through underground channels by Samuel Zigelbaum, Jewish member of the Polish National Council." End quote. So all of this added up is to say the discussions Tuvia and Asile have with the Jewish elders in the movie 
are most likely fictional, but they're based on things that certainly could have happened, if not with the Bilskis, but with others at the time. In the movie, there's a montage as Asael and Haya get married. It's a beautifully horrific mixture of the savagery of war and the beauty of love as the movie cuts between the wedding and the battles of Zeus with the October Atriad. The timeline here is different than reality. And just like the movie changed some things about the relationship between Tuvia and Lilka, so too are the details about Asael and Haya being a little bit different. The true story is that Asael had known Haya for a while. Before the war, one of Asael's sisters, Teba, had an arranged marriage to a man named Avramel. As one of the older men in the family, tradition would be that Asael would be in charge of the logistics of this arranged marriage, and so he was. Avermail's sister was Haya, and since she had graduated from high school, a rare feat for the region at the time, she helped tutor Asael. So the truth is that they knew each other before this happened, and they didn't get married at the end of 1941 like the movie makes it seem. We don't have an exact date because, well, during wartime there weren't a lot of records kept for things like this, but most historians agree that they were married a few years after that, most likely near the end of 1944. Back in the movie, the timeline cuts to the spring of 1942. After a cold and brutal winter, the weather is getting warmer, but things don't get any easier. They capture a German soldier, and from him they find documentation of an impending German attack on the forest. It didn't happen like this in real life, but overall, the gist is fairly close. The forest where the Belsky camp was located was so dark, there was no daylight. Zeus and Sonia's son, Zvi Belsky, may not have been portrayed in the movie, but he recounted some things he'd heard from his parents for the Mirror's 2009 article. Zvi explained, quote, Even in daylight, the whole place was pitch black because of the density of the trees. The Nazis couldn't get tanks in, and every time they tried to breach the perimeter on foot, they were shot at by the Belsky Brigade." End quote. In the movie, in anticipation of the German advance, Tuvia leads the group across swamps and deeper into the forest. And this is true. The camp was surrounded by swamps, so no doubt they had to pass through them. The Germans knew about the Belskys and the Russians, and they tried to take them out. Time. And time again, the Germans would dedicate entire divisions of soldiers, cannons, and planes to try to root out the pesky partisans. But they were never successful. Each time, Tuvia would use his intimate knowledge of the region to simply lead his unit deeper into the dense forest. There, they'd wait it out until the Germans gave up. Meanwhile, of course, Zeus's unit and the Russians would fight back and help speed along the Germans' retreat. The movie doesn't mention this at all, but as time went on, more and more local policemen joined the partisans. Many of them started to realize what the Germans were doing, and with their conscience not allowing them to go along with it anymore, they'd venture into the forest and join ranks with the Bilskis or the Russians, whichever they came upon first. In the movie, after the Bilskis make it out of the swamp, they're almost immediately pinned down by German infantry along with the tank. That didn't happen. In fact, the book's author, Nehama Tech, would later say she was, quote, shocked by this change in the storyline. That's what we referred to in the intro to this episode. 
but after watching the movie a few times, she changed her mind. Even though this detail did not happen, the gist is there. The Bilskis were attacked by the Germans time and time again. The movie's director, Edward Zwick, just took a little bit of liberty here. And this is where the movie ends. After defeating the Germans, the survivors push on deeper into the forest. According to the text on the screen, they lived in the forest for two more years. In that time, according to the movie, they built a new camp that included a school, hospital, and a nursery. All of this is true. Although there was a lot more than a school, a hospital, and a nursery, there was also a mill, a tannery, a bakery, a blacksmith, tailors, watchmakers, carpenters, leatherworks, and many other buildings. It really was a small village. While the movie was focusing on the events in the forest, elsewhere in the war, the Germans were attacking Moscow. Then, after the Germans failed to capture the Soviet capital, as the Bilskis were struggling to survive in the cold and lack of food, the Soviets started to mount their counter-offensive. Slowly but surely, they pushed the German forces back. But the Soviets didn't stop at driving the Nazis out of their homeland. They kept pushing. It took over a year, but in the summer of 1944, the Soviets began to force the Nazis out of Belarus. On July 10, 1944, the Red Army captured Minsk, the capital of Belarus. This trapped over 100,000 Nazi troops, significantly hurting the German defenses. It only took 10 days more after this for the Red Army to reach the Belarus-Poland border. The final bit of text on the screen in the movie says that there were 1,200 who survived. This, too, is true. With the Nazis gone, Tuvia led 1,230 men, women, and children out of the forest and into the nearby town of Novogrodek. Asyl's wife, Haya, was pregnant at the time of their escape. Right away, Asyl was drafted into the Red Army, and in less than six months, he was killed in action at the Battle of Konisberg, somewhere between January and April of 1945. He never lived to see his daughter, Asyla. Zeus survived the war and moved to Israel when the war ended. Then, in 1956, he moved to New York and started a taxicab and trucking company. He died in 1994 at the age of 82 with his wife, Sonia, by his side. He was survived by three sons and six grandchildren. Tuvia also survived the war. He joined Zeus in New York City and helped build the taxi and trucking company into a successful business. Together, the Belsky brothers ran the company for 30 years. Tuvia and Lilka would remain happily married for the rest of their lives. Sadly, when Tuvia died in 1987, he was broke. He never sought any recognition for what he'd done. In fact, it was only two weeks before he passed away that he agreed to recount what had happened for posterity's sake. And even then, you and I would probably never even know about it if Nahamad Tech hadn't researched a completely different story and stumbled upon Tuvia's story by accident. How many other amazing stories like this are there out there that we do not know about? And how many of them were never told and are lost in time forever? 
Fortunately, we know about the story of the Belsky brothers that inspired the movie Defiance. After the movie was released, there were critics who said the movie omitted the mass killings of 128 Poles by Soviet and Jewish partisans on May 8, 1943, in the village of Nyleboki, about 50 miles from Lida. Many historians believe the Belskys took part in this mass murder, and while that's entirely possible, there also hasn't been any proof of this either way. To say the Belsky brothers were completely innocent is not true. They certainly had blood on their hands. For example, Tuvia himself ended up killing two members of his own Atriad. Was it an attempt to protect more lives as he claimed? Or was there something else that caused these killings? All we have is Tuvia's word. In the end, we'll likely never know every little thing that happened in that forest. But what we do know is thanks to a seemingly ordinary family who did what they knew was right, today, over 10,000 descendants of the Belsky partisans are alive. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. I would like to take this opportunity to apologize for the mispronunciations in this episode. I did my best and I researched how names were pronounced, but I'm still sure I messed up plenty of the names, so I apologize for that. If you want to see how the names are spelled or how any of the towns are spelled, you can check them out in the transcript on Amazon for the correct spellings. Just do a search for Based on a True Story, Defiance, and it should pop up. To learn more about the amazing story of the Belsky brothers, I would really recommend reading Nehema Tech's book called Defiance, the Belsky Partisans. If you know someone who might be interested in hearing the true story behind this movie or any of the other movies that we've covered, it would mean the world to me if you would let them know about the Based on a True Story podcast. Thank you so much in advance for helping to spread the word about the show and thank you for subscribing to the podcast and continuing to listen to the show each and every week. You can find all of the links, more episodes, and sign up for the show's newsletter over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Finally, if you've made it this far into the episode, I would love to hear your thoughts on the Belsky Brothers and the movie Defiance. Let me know by getting in touch with me either on Twitter, where I'm Dan Lefebvre, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B, or you can send me an email directly at danlefebvre, once again, D-A-N-L-E-F-E-B, at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon.